You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Running has always been my my classroom, like the, where I go and and I can work out things. I can sort of lay out the whiteboard in my brain and, and work through big problems. Uh, the shower, for some reason, and running, not biking, not or not uh, swimming, not lifting, nothing else. Yeah, but like the white noise of the shower and then something about running. Yeah, it's very uh, meditative. That was Troy Bousseau. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, Marnie on the Move listeners. Welcome to the pod. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today's guest is Troy Fuso, founder and visionary pioneer behind one of the top companies in the world of endurance sports. Athletes, which is the largest results database for endurance sports in the world. If you're like me and keep track of all your race times, which I have been doing for at least the past decade, Athlinks is definitely your jam. It's your digital dashboard with PRs, race times, how many miles you've completed over the years, and so much more. Before we dive into our convo with Troy, Shout out to my sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. Also, shout out to Alchemind Supplements and Dr. Daryl Joffrey. I am loving the Alchemind plant-based organic protein powder. It has three core alkaline proteins, Sacha Inchi, pea, hemp, and coconut oil, which turns your body into a fat-burning machine. And, of course, it's sugar-free. It's been a great addition into my training and fueling. I'm also using their acid-kicking mineral mix when I'm out on the bike for hydration, as well as the acid-kicking greens in all of my smoothies. And their omega-3 and black seed oil supplements for inflammation and general health. Check out their website, getoffyouracid.com, and use our code MOTM20 for 20% off. Now, back to our guest. Troy Bousseau is also the host and creator of the Athlinks podcast, an ultra runner and cyclist. We sync up about where the idea for Athlinks began, how he grew the company, sold it to Lifetime, and how he is now moving on. We talk about his terrific podcast, The Athlinks Podcast, 
When it launched and some lessons he has learned from guests along the way, he shares a few key entrepreneurial lessons from his years of experience growing his own business, and Troy shares his upcoming training and race goals. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app wherever you listen. Click on the Marnie on the Move podcast, scroll through the episodes, click on five stars and leave a review. Also, share what you are listening to on your social channels. And finally, don't forget, sign up for our newsletter, The Download. Now, on to my conversation with Troy. This is a big day for you. Thanks for taking time to be on the podcast today. Yeah. No, it's it's my pleasure. It's funny. I think that I think other people are making are taking it not not harder, but making a bigger deal out of it than I am. And I've been I, I've been super heads down for the last few weeks wrapping things up. And so I'm I just haven't maybe I don't know maybe this will all hit me at some point, but mm-hmm. I haven't really had a chance to process it. And I'm a pretty yeah. pragmatic person, so it's your last day at Athletics. Yeah, fifteen years. Yeah. yeah, a company that you started 15 years ago. I mean, you <laughs> developed this company and a product that is so game-changing and revolutionary for athletes and the racing and endurance sports world. It's incredible. And then you you sold the company to yep. Lifetime, and, yep. and now you're leaving to do something yep. new. Indeed. So tell yeah, me. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. It, it, it was really cool serendipity. So this week... I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. I didn't, I wasn't watching it, but I looked at it. I'll watch it like every couple of weeks. We passed 350 million results. And so it was a nice little like, okay, cool. Hit one last milestone, you know, because I remember, I remember the first dollar I made with the business. I remember, I remember the first sign up I got. I remember the first meaningful weekend where like 50 people signed up after a race you know, you remember all of these things. I remember when we passed a million members. I remember when we passed 2 million members, like it, you know, all of these things matter. And it was nice to hit a little last um, milestone on the, on the way out. So it was cool. Tell me a little bit about Athlinks and how it began, where it began yeah. and what the endurance sports and racing landscape was like at the time. Yeah. So I was not at all part of the endurance landscape is the funny part before I started Athlinks. I I had done a turkey trot with my uncle, but it was more just to spend time with my uncle, frankly. Um, and uh, I was, I started the funny, so Athlinks was originally called Virtue, Virtue Race, V-I-R-T-U Race. And so this would have been 2000, probably 2003, I want to say. And the idea was really kind of a combination of what Strava became and FKTs. So the idea was that I had all these public courses mapped out in all of the, I mean, I had like 12 to start. I had the, um, for those familiar in Phoenix, it was the Choya and um, the two courses up Camelback Mountain. Um, I had a South Mountain course in there. I had like the Central Park 10K. And then I grabbed like a, a boardwalk run in like Mission Beach, San Diego or something like that. And the idea would be is that you could on your own time go and log your times for these these efforts. 
So again, sort of like FKTs 20 years before FKTs became a thing and, you know, 10 years before Strava and several years before smartphones and all that stuff. And so every morning for about a month, I had, I had these little activation cards and, you know, kind of explained like how to put in your time. And I climbed Camelback Mountain in Phoenix every single morning. And I talked to people and I handed out these cards and I'm like, Hey, if you want to log your times, go here. And in a month, I think one person did it. And I, I probably handed out at least a hundred cards, but probably like 500 cards. And it was an absolute abject failure. <laughs> it was a terrible idea. It was just kind of one of those things, like it was a tool that I wanted, but apparently nobody else really cared or wanted. And, um, and I was, I was on my way home from, from Camelback. And again, those who know Phoenix, I, you know, traveling south from Scottsdale to Chandler and I, you drive right past Tempe Town Lake and there was a triathlon going on. I'd never done a triathlon. I'd always been fascinated by Ironman. So I was like, man, let me stop. And, you know, and just, I was really just stopping to watch. And so I went down to, toward the finish line in the, it was an ITU race. And so the, the pros were just finishing and I sat with a couple of them and I was asking them like, how do you get your results? What does this look like? And, and they were very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they were, they painted the, you know, like those infomercial mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, do you have a hard time opening pasta and the person <laughs> does like pasta, you know, it's totally. like these totally yeah. unrealistic versions of what life is really like, but they were painting this picture of like, yeah, we have no idea how to get our results. Like, you know, they're tapped to a tree, they're, you know, right. taped to the <laughs> side of a truck. Yeah. They were tapped to a tree. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so again, this was probably 2002 or three or so. And, um, and so I was, I'm sitting there thinking about this, like, wow, you know, I wonder, you know, basically what I just built is a sideways version of what they're looking for. Right. And triathletes are so type A, like all the data, Exactly. you know, that's the market. Yeah, that's right. And so like, and I wonder, Oftentimes, because had I asked those same questions at the turkey trot that I had already done, I probably wouldn't have gotten the same sort of market research que- answers, right? right. They, pe- people would have been like, eh, I don't really care about what my time was. And, you know, it yeah, Kinda so true, these the, the guys that I talked to, guys yeah. and gals that I talked to, they were very like, I don't know how to get my results. It is a problem. Help me solve this problem kind of thing. And so I went to a coffee shop all weekend. I ripped the engine apart. Again, I sort of turned it on its side. So instead of individuals uploading their results, you could pump in a full set. I went to a 5K the next weekend. I handed out those exact same failure, you know, cards that nobody had cared about before. And I got home and like 50 people had signed up to check their results. Yeah. And so it was like a a total aha moment of like, holy smokes, there's, there's something to this thing. And so I just started trying to figure it all out, you know? And so at the time, the funny thing was nobody had done this. There was all sorts of questions on the ownership of results, Mm -hmm. the legality of me grabbing those results, all sorts of things. And I got, I got more than one, uh, F-bomb laden voicemail from, timers and race directors around the country saying, you know, this is not okay. And every single time, all it took was me calling them back and saying, hey, look, this is what I'm trying to do. This is the goal of the site is to just, you know, 
aggregate all of these race results. I'm going to wait a week before I post results. So initially I did post them that Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon. Right. But I saw that that's going to be a problem for two reasons. One is that's typically the event's best time to market to those athletes. So I didn't want to siphon that traffic right. as, as advantageous as it would have been for me. It's a very short-term decision. So long-term, it was better for me to say, look, you own race week. I will pull them a week later. And the other side is that it allowed any edits that needed to happen to those results. Right. Cause otherwise I would have been chasing my tail. So that that's how it worked. That's very smart of you to be that forward thinking and to think about the relationships that you would have with the race companies and the race. Yeah, I think it's frankly that I'm just very non-confrontational. I didn't <laughs> like getting yelled at. So it was just like, Hey, I'll, I'll wait a week. And then, and the, and then the third thing is that we it, very early on, I wrote a quote unquote scraper. So I wrote a script that would pull results and it was very difficult to know what you missed, how accurate it was. And so it never went to production. It was a toy I tinkered with for a little while. So every single result that is in all 350 million of those results have either been pushed over an API by the timer or race director, or they have been hand entered by a human, Right. Um, which was a really important distinction. So we, we have a lot of audit criteria around the results and things. So to make sure that they were accurate, they were, um, you know, timely, all of those things. So, yeah, yeah. I think that I read somewhere recently that there were people entering false results on Strava. So, I mean, you always encounter that, I think. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, we got we were yeah. we were taken. There's a great story. It was it was it, they broke it on Let's Run probably a decade ago. Um Kip Litton who this guy what he was doing was he was submitting cuz you can't upload results by yourself to Athlinks, but you can right. submit them to our team. They will then go vet those results. So he was creating fake webs, fake event websites, mm -hmm. posting fake results, and then pointing our data team to that those websites. And we were pulling those results in. And then he was, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, God, isn't it a lot easier just to go run and get fast? That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Also, what's really cool about Athlinks is that you can Athlink someone. So you can Google them and see their times. And that should be a positive thing, by the way. Like if you're like, oh, <laughs> You know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've done it to see some of the best times at a certain race. So I, instead of going necessarily to the race website and looking up all their past results, who are some of the top finishers? What have their times been? And like, what do I need yeah. to do as an athlete? But I think that data is invaluable that you've built with Athlinks. Yeah, we, we estimate now at this point, probably at least a third. So at least 100 million of those results are probably only available on Athlinks at this point, you know, yeah. races that have gone out of business or, or, you know, smoked their website, those types of things. So it is very valuable in that regard. And there are so many, you know, part of the challenge anytime you start to expand and by selling to Lifetime as part of ChronoTrack, we, we, sort of immediately just started serving ChronoTrack probably more than the athlete itself. So they were, like you mentioned, all of those tools, we get emails all the time saying, you know, boy, if you could just do this or this, you know, right. reshape the data this way, let me search across the same event multiple years, that type of thing. And so, I mean, there's a roadmap a mile long that has those types of things right. that we just, you know, like we just haven't gotten a chance to get get away from the sort of the timer facing tooling to get back into the athlete facing stuff. So they'll get to it. It's, it's all, you know, 
there's so much potential still that remains in that in that database and in that business when did you sell athlinks to lifetime the deal closed december 31st 2012 so that was my new year's eve was uh so it was right uh, in the middle of when you yeah right in the middle yeah so yep i've been i've been with lifetime now for eight years so it was an eight-year run um, almost to the day. So my my contractor agreement was up December 31st. And so it was kind of a, for the last year or so, I'd been working with leadership and lifetime, trying to figure out my transition when the right time was. Mm-hmm. COVID obviously opened the door wide open to that. You know, it's the, um, frankly, the, you know, lifetime or uh, Athlinks doesn't need me at this point, you know, as races are building back, you know, we have a ton of, we have great team engineers and product people that are they're going to treat that thing very, very well. So, was it hard for you to sell the company at that point? I mean, as a founder and somebody who had like worked so hard on this product and building it, or was it a natural evolution for you to kind of grow it and make it bigger emotionally? <laughs> emotionally, no, it was really, you know, Athlinks was a it's an ad driven company. So, all of our revenue came from advertising sales. That is a very thankless job. And so as a startup as well, I never took outside funding other than some friends and family money, but very small amounts. And so I was I was spending a third of my time doing ad sales, a third of my time doing programming, you know, development, and then a third of my time just thinking about the product and, uh, you know, strategic partnerships and those types of things. And so, I mean, it was a grind and really Athlinks, I had always envisioned it as a cog in a much bigger engine, Right. whether I had sold to active or competitor group or lifetime, or, you know, we talked, we were talking to everybody at the time, you know, training peaks was um, the, in fact, the reason I ended up in Colorado was training peaks was the original company that I was speaking to, to about selling it. And so I flew up here with my wife. We kind of fell in love with the area. Mm-hmm. And then after we sold to Lifetime, about a year later, we were frankly just sort of fumbling in the dark with these three businesses that they had bought and trying to figure out how to make it all work. And we just said, finally, like, we need to open an office. We need to get everybody in one place and and really attack this. So we had a meeting on one day. It wasn't even about this. We were all up in Colorado uh, on another deal. And we asked Brum the uh, founder and CEO of Lifetime said, hey, can we can we get a green light on on looking at opening an office in Colorado? He said, yes. I didn't tell anybody, but my wife and I then the next day flew back up to Colorado and bought a house. And uh, like, because I knew if we didn't do something that drastic, it would just, yeah. we would still be sort of drifting six months later. And the last thing you want is Brom coming to you and saying, you know, why the fuck have you guys not pulled the trigger? I gave you the green light. So yeah. We, we pulled the trigger. Yeah. And I was not in a position to go just buy an extra house in Colorado. <laughs> so it was a, it was a big deal. Sounds like it was a big deal. Where were you living before? Phoenix. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Phoenix, founded the company there, was part of the, you know, the startup community there, left a lot behind to come up here and, uh, and have regretted very little since moving up here. It's a, this is a great place to live and raise a family. You went from like extreme heat to extreme cold. You know, Colorado is freaking, it's very similar to Phoenix. Not a lot of people know this. Oh, really? Okay. Like this past weekend, it was like 75 degrees over Easter and it was blazing hot. You're, the atmosphere is so much thinner up here. A 90 degree day here feels like 120 in Phoenix. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You don't get the radiant heat the off altitude. the... 
Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't get like the crazy radiant heat from all the asphalt. And, you know, when I was a kid in Phoenix, I've lived there since 75 or six and there was so much less asphalt and concrete. It was, it wasn't like it, the nights would actually get cool in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Now it's, if it's one fifteen during the day, it's going to be around a hundred at three o'clock in the morning. That's crazy. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know that at yeah. all. Speaking of Phoenix and Arizona, when you started your company, you said you had just done your first 5K, like turkey trot, right? Yeah. You just had this idea because you thought, I've got a, you know, it was a great idea. So what was your next event that you did? Because now you're immersed in this world of endurance sports, building product for athletes well, so I was a I was a traditional sport athlete growing okay. up. So I was football, baseball, wrestling. And so I certainly had my fill, you know, as a running back, receiver, defensive oh, back so in were. football. Okay. So I was a like I was a sprinter. I was and I was always kind of one of the faster kids. Um, and I enjoyed running. I loved running. I remember like just growing up in the eighties and I lived in this uh, like basically section eight housing, this apartment complex for single moms. Like we were all poor, nobody, you know, there was no like parents shuttling you around. You ran or rode your bike everywhere you were going to go. And so I would, you know, I would run to school. I would run home. I'd, you know, get my stuff and go run back. You know, baseball practice was always at the school. Pop Warner practice was there. So I was just always running and running and running, but never, I wasn't around anybody who ran races or anything. So it, it just wasn't even a, it wasn't anything that entered my mind growing up. And then wrestling was the opposite. Wrestling was always like long, you know, five to 10 mile runs trying to lose weight. And so, but I always love, like I've talked to so many people through Athlinks and certainly on the podcast who are, you know, running was always torture. Running was always punishment. I always loved it. I, I, I don't remember a time when I just didn't like the running side of it. And so I, I've always loved it. And so after I started Athlinks, then immediately it was sort of like, you know, you're around it. It's impossible not to do it once you're around it. And so I think my first race then and my first probably 20 next races were all splash and dashes, sprint triathlons, trying to get trying to get up to speed, learn how to swim. Right. Um, we talked about that you know, on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on your podcast. <laughs> the first time I got into a pool, I... I I had a goal. I'm, I'm going to swim 500 meters today. And I'm, I'm, no joke, I ran, I swam 50 meters and dragged myself out of the pool. I thought <laughs> I, I was going to drive. I believe it. It was insane. Yeah. yeah. I, like I didn't get it. You know, I was for some reason, you know, then I learned like I, I was trying to keep my torso very flat on the water. Mm-hmm. And so I looked like a wind up toy. Yeah, you know, yeah, like a turtle kind of. I didn't realize that you were supposed to get up on your sides and all that stuff. So it, I just destroyed myself. I didn't own a bike at the time, so splash and dashes were a phenomenal way to get acclimated to open water swimming. You know, the transition stuff, right. just the race anxiety, and we had a really vibrant scene in Phoenix before one of the victims of the big financial crisis of 08 was the fact that all these municipalities then raised all of their fees, making these small $25 splash and dashes where they would rent, you know, the Tempe town Lake. Right. It just made it cost prohibitive. And so you took this phenomenal feeder system of triathlons. I don't, I'm sure I would have done a triathlon had it not been for the splash and dashes, but the ability to go four or six weeks in a row, 
25 bucks a pop on a Thursday night or a Saturday morning, right. get a, get a 2k, uh, open water swim with a 5k run in a smaller, you know, usually maybe like 80 to hundred people. Yeah. That sounds great. It was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, it, you know, great weather conditions, water conditions, all of those things. So I learned in a very baby step type of way how to do it. And it was, it was invaluable. So when was your first triathlon? I should have pulled up my profile. I have no idea. I was, uh, let's see. <laughs> Which made me think I was trying to athlink you earlier on my phone and it directed me to the website. So it used to be athlinks was an app. Is it still an app? Yep. We pulled the app about a month into COVID and okay. it was just a resource issue. So we, what we actually did was to answer your question, my first race was 2004 splash and dash fall series. I came in 100th out of 145. That's how That's bad good. a swimmer I was. <laughs> that was terrible. Um, okay. Know. So yeah. yeah. So what we actually ended up doing during COVID. So for those of you who don't know, I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast is well aware the our industry through the second week of March was up about three percent in yeah. terms of total finishers. So we were actually it was the first positive growth year in about um, about eight years. And then from the lockdown on, excluding virtual races, industry was down about ninety seven percent. Yeah, and just I mean just totally gutted overnight. And so what it actually afforded us on the athletic side was. Our industry is basically like from a developer standpoint, you're basically facing Black Friday every single weekend. You have rush registrations, you have big races, you have live results you're pumping through. And so you never get these long chunks of time where you can go do big, meaningful projects. Right. That's what we did. We ripped the entire back end apart. We rebuilt some things that we had been trying to get to for you know a decade or more. We fixed just so much stuff in the back end. But as part of that, we were using two different sets of APIs, two different pieces of software basically to drive the website versus the mobile app. Right. So we just had to make that tough choice from day one to say, look, let's kill the mobile app for the time being. Let's rebuild all of these things. And then we'll bring them back together at some point in the future. And we had luckily going into COVID rebuilt everything that was available on the app is available on the website. So like right. live map tracking and all that. So you don't lose anything other than, you know, having that nice icon on your, your home screen and all that stuff. So, I mean, I yeah. love it because I, I, what I do when I'm training for races is I look at all my past times and, you know, how I'm succeeding and getting faster or slower or the conditions. And I kind of really geek out on the data. Yeah. And even though I'm also, you know, using training peaks for the everyday program training, uploading, it's not all in one place for me to see at a glance. So I really like that. I also have an Excel spreadsheet I created, which thanks to Athlinks, I don't really need to refer back to. Yeah. For any of my listeners that maybe aren't as obsessed or geeked out by data or athletes that, you know, this is like basically the hub for race results for every athlete, every race that you've done. And you can like log in and find them and all those fun things. And it's free. Yeah. It's free because it's still ad based. Yeah. Right. So yep. it's still advertising based. So that's that's really cool. So anyone yeah. can sign up for it. That's remotely curious about their race times and data. Yeah. Yeah, the tagline is all your race results in one place. So it, it makes it very, very easy for that. And it's funny, the thing that you just said, there's a product management 
uh, framework called jobs to be done. And basically what it is, is that what is, what are your customers hiring you to do, right? What is right. the job they're, they're hiring you for? And what you just said was the epiphany, like a month into the company where somebody said, you know, I can finally throw away my Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. I've been keeping all these things. And so, and that was really meaningful to hear such a simple little thing where it was like, okay, that, yeah, that is meaningful. So uh, again, had I started that one day sitting at Tempe Town Lake with a goal of like, what if I created a database that housed a third of a billion race results? Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have started. I was going to ask you, you know, as somebody who is a founder and has built this company to where it is today, how important is it to be both present in the product that you're creating or the brand that you're creating at the time you're creating it versus being forward thinking and super strategic with a 10 year plan? How do you kind of oh, balance those two things and navigate? I don't even know what a 10 year plan would look like, especially <laughs> in software, but certainly in business. Look, I think until you've found product market fit, you've got to be involved in every single step of the way. And then and then once you've found product market fit, you know, maybe you move a little bit more up the chain and make sure that things are being marketed the way that you, you know, envision. There's so much talk these days about culture, right? What right. is the culture? What is your, and people try to manufacture culture all day. I believe culture comes down to one thing, which is the relationship between the founder or CEO and the customer. Yeah. That's it. That's what matters. And if you have if you have a relationship with your customers where you are, you know, Brahmakrati, this the founder and CEO of Lifetime is a perfect example of this. We always knew what to do inside of Lifetime every single day because of how Brahm feels about the Lifetime member. Right. We pick up garbage when we get out of our car and walk to the gym. We pick up towels in the locker room if they're on the floor. Like it's, there are those little things like that, right? right? And it's not about ping pong tables and pool tables in the break room and things like that. It's about the relationship that the founder or CEO has with the customer. And then everything else needs to fill in behind that. Yeah. And so it, that'll determine how polished product is before a customer ever sees it. That will determine how your pricing structures work, all of those things will fall into line if you understand how your CEO or founder feels about the customer right. and the product that they're right. delivering. So do you feel like that's a huge lesson for you, like taking forward into developing whatever it is you do next? I know you're planning to take yeah. some time to relax. Uh, I, I don't know I what won't. that means for somebody <laughs> who, it, it sounds yeah. like, you know, this is in your DNA, so I don't know, but... I'm rooting for you. <laughs> I've already got too many irons in the fire as as it is right now. So that that is the toughest part is forcing myself to take at least a month. But I've already started work on a couple of things that um, uh, that are you know deliverable. So I I need to we'll we'll see how that all works out. You know. Are you staying in this a similar space in the? No, I always I always promised myself that when I left Athlinks, I would I would leave endurance and. Nothing against endurance. It's it's quite the opposite. My my hobbies are I love writing software. Yes. I love endurance racing, training and racing for endurance sports. And now with the podcast, that's a third thing that is like my hobbies. I don't really have hobbies outside of that. So mountain biking, trail running, 
writing software, running a business, and now podcasting. And having all three of those things wrapped up in the exact same package is very, is good and bad to it. Let's just say, you know, it's tough to go to a race and not feel like so connected to, you know, who are they using for results? What's their tech? What's the problems with it? What do I like? You know, it's, you're constantly in that mode. You can't just go in and race. You're like working. I understand that. Yeah. So I will always be in the, let's call it the healthy living space, Mm -hmm. which is where my next venture will take us. So it's in, it's a little bit closer aligned to the food space, but yeah, more to come on that one. Yeah. So, I mean, since we're talking about the podcast, the Athlings podcast, you have over 38 episodes, which you launched back in November, 2020. And you talk to all kinds of endurance athletes from Otolo swim run athletes, gravel athletes, kayakers, ultra runners, OCR. I mean, you name it, you're talking to them. And they're everyday age group athletes and event organizers and founders. So like, where did you, like, where did the idea for your podcast start and where do you see it going? Yeah. So that, that is the one thing is that, that, uh, well, we're, I'm still working with lifetime to figure out what the right transition is for the podcast. So I will, I will, I will continue the podcast, whether it's called athletes or presented by athletes, athletes will be involved. And so we'll figure that piece out. I, for years, I think I sponsored, uh, I am talk, which was the Ironman talk guys, um, John and Bevan out of New Zealand, phenomenal, great Ironman triathlon podcast. They do a great job of, they're really organized. They have like multiple segments in the show. There's a lot of structure to it. There's research, all of the things that like scared the hell out of me for doing a podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, you know, it was like Rich Roll, Joe Rogan, people like this, where, you know, just sitting down and having really cool conversations with amazing people was really appealing to me. And as I started to think about my transition out of athletics and that was half of it, the other half was figuring out, okay, well, without races, you know, there's not a lot of reason to go to athletics if, if no races are happening. So how do we continue getting awareness for the brand out there? And how do we get people engaging with the brand, all that? The podcast was the perfect vehicle for that. And so, you know, I, it was kind of one of those things where, again, similar to, I took a weekend to rewrite the engine, you know, so many years ago. Yeah. It was like, I, you said you did like a year's worth of research on all the things podcast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I think I did like an afternoon, bought a mic, a Roadcaster Pro and, you know, like, I, I think I recorded my first podcast the next day. I started mine a long time ago, so it wasn't like yeah. as po- it wasn't as popular. So it, there wasn't as much out there. Also, you know, yeah. Anchor didn't even exist when I started mine. Right. I mean, not that I would host my podcast on Anchor, but I mean, it was it was at that time when like, there were the Rich Rolls and the Mark Marins and the NPRs, yeah. but there weren't the other million podcasters. So it was, it's interesting now. It's interesting because, like, I don't. Uh, part of it was like just zero expectations. Yeah. Being a software developer, being a loner, frankly, like I don't like really training with other people. I don't, I'm pretty heads down most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember if it was before I started it or after I started it, but um, Joe Rogan was talking to somebody that what he loved about his show was it was, I mean, for him up to five hours, his shows are ridiculous, I can't. but 
it's this block of time every single day where he's not on his phone. He's sitting face to face with a human having these conversations. And I agree a thousand percent. The people that I have met, uh, the conversations that I've had so meaningful, so deep, it forces you. Most people are not good listeners. I would certainly include myself in that, in that equation there. It forces me. And I think it was the first or second episode where I realized I was constantly thinking of the next thing to say rather Mm -hmm. than listening to what was going on. And it really does force you to listen, be present. It forces you to slow down. So for me, it was like, for me, it's, 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 it's therapeutic in the same way that running is for me. It's, you know, it's, it's It's interesting that you say that. I mean, cause I, I'm super extroverted and I'm, I like to do things with other people, but I'm also, I also have that other side where I'm definitely a loner. I can totally sit and research things and learn things on my computer by myself for hours. It's like the one hour I see other people, it's 20 hours for most people. You know, that small hour is enough for me, but it's a lot in that hour. So, I mean, I do love talking to people. So I think for me, that's what it's about. And also just the connection. I think during COVID, it was like game changing for me. I think that, and I just started doing the Zoom videos. So this has been Mm -hmm. great kind of seeing people in person. But yeah, I mean, I could totally see that being for somebody who is more of an introvert kind of focus. Yeah. Yeah. It forces me out of my comfort zone, which I like. I'm, I'm good at public speaking. I enjoy that, but I don't, I don't necessarily like, you know, it's not that I don't like it. I'm not comfortable having these types of conversations typically. And so by forcing myself into these things, it, it, you know, it was more, um, I think I'm just really impatient or something like my brain is always going a thousand miles an hour. So I'm always thinking about, I need to go be doing something else rather than sitting here having this conversation. Yeah. And again, it just, it forces me to slow down, have those conversations. And uh, yeah, I love it. Do you it. feel like there's anything in like athleticism and endurance sports that does that for you as well? Like, are there any parallels between the two? Well, I, I think a great example for me was like doing the open water swimming and triathlon stuff. You know, when, when, I think, I think for a lot of people, it's a lot easier. There are different scales to where people feel comfortable in their comfort zone in terms right. of what are their accomplishments and other things. And so while I was no D1 football player, I was good. And so I have a certain expectation always on myself when it comes to athletic endeavors, even if it's something I've never done before. Right. There's always this sort of false... I don't know, bravado within my own mind of mm-hmm. how good I should be at something. And that can be a huge barrier. And it's that, it's that fear of failure or fear of success, depending on which way you look at it. And so the one, the one thing that I've always, I think, been pretty good about for myself is when I notice myself like having that fear or him hawing before making that decision where I, I can identify like, dude, yeah. you just be us. Like you just need to go do it. 
I'm pretty good at forcing myself into it. Like in the podcasting thing, the second I noticed that I had anxiety around talking to people, it was like, well, then you're doing the podcast. Here it goes. Totally. Like we're going to get over that one. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. I think that athleticism and sports helps so much with everything else in life. And so, you know, I'm sure you've learned a lot of invaluable lessons from some of your guests. Who were some of the guests where you that you spoke with that you've just come away like, oh my God, that is just the most incredible story. I had no idea. And yeah. it gives you like perspective. Bill Bucklew is the guy that probably stands out most to me. He was he was sent to me by by Lorna Campbell, who's another phenomenal story from the World Marathon Majors. And Bill suffers from Parkinson's, has it um, early onset. I think it like first symptoms were in his early or mid thirties, which is really super rare Yeah. to give you an idea of this conversation. So first off, he's extremely mild mannered. I think he's maybe an engineer, super mild mannered. You'd never, you know, you don't look at him and think like this guy is a freaking savage at all. And we're talking and, you know, it was like a pre-call. We were just kind of, you know, it was kind of like trying to get some ideas for storylines and we're, and I remember looking down, we were 28 minutes into this pre-call and we were talking about something and I asked him a question about some time frame, And he said, well, I think it was, you know, 2018. He said, no, couldn't have been. That's when I, that's when I walked across the U S and I'm like, Whoa, wait a second. Like how, how are we 28 minutes into this call? And you just mentioned that you walked across the U S with Parkinson's by the way, wow. by yourself. And that's just the type of guy he is. Like he's just done these things and he doesn't, you know, it's not like all about this, you know, Instagram follower, you know, I'm trying to get on Oprah type of thing. He's just trying to raise awareness for Parkinson's research. And, and, and frankly, I think even, I I don't remember if he said it, or if I just came to this conclusion, I think it has less to do with that and more about, I think he is just trying to kick this disease's ass because he's just not going to take it. And he is a freaking savage. And so he, he's one that just absolutely stands out in my mind as like a holy smokes. Like this is, this dude is awesome. But there's been, there have been 37 others that are equally like, God dang it. You know, I love all my guests. Right. But there have been a few guests where something they say has just resonated with me every day since we had that conversation. Yeah. And, and I feel like that sounds like that's one of them. There's so much that, you learn from these yeah. guests. I mean, have you learned any really valuable business lessons or are there any other things that you've learned like along the way? Well, you know, it's, I kind of wish I would have started a little bit earlier with, yeah. with everything that we've gone through with the protests of all the last year. One of my other favorite conversations has been with Marcus Brown, the marathon Marcus. Yes. If you haven't talked to him, you need to get him on okay. the podcast. Great guy, Londoner, Black guy, self-professed, right? So he started, so he's the Marathon Marcus. He's got a great podcast called A Runner's Life. And then he was a co-founder of the Black Trail Runners in, and they work out of London, but it, you know, it's all about getting um, black runners basically out onto the trails. Right. And it was a really good, honest, one of the things that we talked about there was as part of the sort of the breaking through these color barriers or, you know, whatever it is, is having this grace on both sides. So meaning I'm going to say some really dumb things because I'm ignorant to your experience and you're going to say some dumb things because you're ignorant to my experience. And as long as we go into that conversation with that level of grace of not attacking each other, canceling each other, 
pointing out like, hey, just so you know, like that's kind of offensive what you just said or whatever. Right. And we just had this really great open conversation and we actually did. So I, similar to this, I was on his podcast. He was on mine, had a great chat about it. And so those, those are some of my favorite conversations also yeah. where, you know, you sort of, you almost disconnect from yourself in a way because it, one, being the host of a podcast, nobody gives a shit about what my politics are. Right. Right. Like, well, that's not true. <laughs> well, oh, well, your politics, they do, maybe, but they don't, but you, yeah, but they, right. uh, like, it's a running podcast. It's a right. triathlon. Po- it's about sports. It's not right. about what my beliefs right. are in yes, politics. And so I, I really do try to keep that as divorced as possible from, from my conversations. And so when you're talking, it forces you into this very neutral stance yeah. Which is where we all should be coming from because yes. like at no point am I trying to win this argument with Marcus. I'm trying to understand where he's coming from right. and blend that with my own experiences and say, where do my prejudices exist? Where do, where do his exist? And how can we overcome these things right. versus I have a slightly larger brick that I can throw a little bit harder at you. Right. right. That's not, yeah. that's not solving anything. Yeah. So I, I like those. Um, Business-wise, I, I haven't really talked to a lot of entrepreneurs. It's a it's a direction I would really love to go down. Pretty much every successful person that I've talked to so far on the podcast has a very similar story in terms of they just started. They yeah, you know, they just started. That's the that's the hardest thing for most people. And as a like when I do consulting in this world, I can't tell you the number of software companies I've walked into that are sitting on some launch that they've had ready for months and months and months. And they are just beating that thing with hammers, trying to, you know, trying to get it to tell them some secret and the secrets get answered when you launch. That's, that's the reality. You want to know how good your product is? Launch it. I think that that is always a challenge for people. And it's when you start a company, you really should be nose down, right? And just doing it. I think because if you don't and you start hammering it and taking it apart, you're never going to get it out there. It's a slippery slope too though, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's in, and I don't know if the immature is the right word. It's certainly a naive approach when, when you think, Again, like virtue race, I was so sure that it was a winner idea. Like I was so sure that I was afraid to tell other people about it. Right. I was afraid that somebody was going to steal this great idea. Whatever. I mean, the reality is, is, you know, you should be pretty open about like, hey, here's my whole strategy. Right. Because strategy, strategy is pretty easy. Yeah. You know, to be honest, like that's, that's the easy party. The execution is, is far and away a hundred times harder than strategy, right? And so, and if you're listening to your customers, your customers will tell you most of your strategy, yeah. you know, most of it. And so, yeah, it, it's like the people who are, and I was one of them. So I'm certainly, I'm pointing the arrow at myself of just, you know, you're so full of your own idea versus yeah. just, you, you have to get it in front of people from day one and get their feedback, you know, early and often. And it doesn't mean that you have to launch it for the world, right? but launch something, invite people to it, have them look at it and you'll get the best feedback possible. And so as a pioneer, how do you feel about launching something and then everyone trying to kind of do the same thing? Cause you just kind of brought that up. 
yeah, I mean, do you just keep going? Do you keep reinventing? Do you pay attention to it? What's your approach to pioneering something? Yeah, it's a little cliche, but, you know, competition is the best form of flattery. Yeah. And so I loved it. We had a lot of really fierce competitors I'm early sure. on. Yeah. And it, and it was great, frankly, kicking the shit out of every single one of them, you know, and it it's easy. And, I, and I'd like to think that one of the reasons why we had so many competitors early on is we kind of made it look easy. Mm-hmm. You know, we grew pretty fast. We, you know, the data was always growing and, and the system worked. And it was really simple for athletes to say, Hey, I just did this race. Here's a link to it. Go put in the results. And they were up right away. And we kind of made things look easy. And the reality is there was a lot of really thoughtful tooling that went into making that easy. So I, you know, I, I'm a, like, if you don't have any competitors, you're, you know, you're probably in the wrong industry or, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you're, (laughs) yeah, you've gone so hyper niche that there's nobody really looking at you, you know, in that regard. So I love competition. Yeah. That's why we race. I think it's, yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like, you know, you mentioned earlier strategy is easy, right. And it's the execution that is challenging and that, you know, is really the hardest part of getting something off yeah. the ground or doing anything. And there's tons of training plans out there that you could download. And I think of it when you're competing in a race or whatever. I mean, you're all, you all have the same tools. It's just like yeah. how you execute and what's your why and how bad you want to win and all those things that kind of yeah. keep you in the game, so to speak. I've always struggled with, in my career, being always ahead of the curve and sort of a pioneer with some of the concepts that yeah. I've started. And then I had to learn a couple of years ago, I had to let go. You got to let go and just focus on doing what you want to do. It's hard, but yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of that comes down to integrity. Yeah. And if, if you're creating things, wh- why did you create them? Right. I, I created Athlinks because I really believed in the product. I didn't think about it from day one. Like, how do I how do I go buy an island? You know, right. <laughs> like that wasn't, that was never my why. Right. And, and so I just really believed fiercely in the product. Right. And so if somebody had beaten me to it and somebody else had gone out there and amassed 350 million results and done a better job of it. Great. I would have felt like an idiot because I lost, but I still would have been happy that that thing existed in the world. And I think that that's a, a way to look at those types of things when you're inventing or pioneering or whatever word you want to look at is, is first, I want this product to be out there. Second, I want to be the person to bring it there. If you flip those two, you can find yourself compromising your integrity quite a bit. What are you willing to do to be first? Take a look at Uber, phenomenal product, amazing convenience to the world. What did they do to get there? And there was also Lyft at the same time. Eventually, yes. And, you know, but like when I think of all the things, you know, and and Travis Kalanick or Kalanick, you know, amazing entrepreneur, literally willing to do anything, like had a, whatever it was, $150 million legal fund to start the business because he was going to go up against unions and municipalities to bring this service to the world. Now, he didn't look at the downside of, you know, 60-year-old cab drivers committing suicide because their entire livelihoods were now gone and things like that. So, you know, that's that's what I mean by integrity. You have to 
it's fine that he did it. I'm sure Travis probably sleeps very well at night right. because his goal was Uber, everything else be damned. I, I was not that. So I, you know, we were always honest. We were always, you know, we always tried to act with, you know, maximum integrity. We have always freely given the data away to groups like Running USA. There's a lot of research groups who use our data for free, anonymized and scrubbed, et cetera. But, you know, so we, there are certain areas where we said, look, you know, you don't stand in our way to go aggregate the data. We're not going to stand in the way of others who want to do great things with that data. That's really great. Yeah. Moving kind of on from athletes, what are you training for right now? Because I know that you're training for something. And what are your sports these days? Like, what have you been doing during COVID? The wrestler in me, I picked up judo during COVID, or I guess before, at some point in, uh, yeah, I guess it was right around the time that COVID started to happen. I went and started judo. And then unfortunately, I detached my bicep doing judo, got caught in an arm bar and uh, was too stupid to tap out and did some dumb things. So I destroyed my arm, rebuilt that. So I'm feeling much better, but I just got cleared to mountain bike again. So in the meantime, I've done a lot of trail running and for my 50th birthday, which is later this year, I'm doing Silver Rush, which is up in Leadville, Colorado, a 50 mile run up in, uh, up in Leadville, Colorado. So that's what I'm, I'm training for right now. That's awesome. How are you some, training? Uh, I'm just running a lot and doing a, a, a lot of zone two running. Yeah. And uh, very, very slow, very boring running, but uh, I love it. And I, I, uh, it's an interesting difference. Like I, I've never been good at like when I hike, it's always heads down as hard as I can. When I run, it's heads down as hard as I can. And this like zone two running where you're doing 25 mile days, I take a lot of pictures. Yeah, totally. You know, I'm like, oh, my heart rate's um, too high. I've got to bring it down. Let me stop and do a photo. <laughs> Yeah. So like, I just, you know, I just kind of goof around a lot and, you know, it's, it's, I, I have picked up a couple of training partners, Todd Straka, who was, I think my first guest on the podcast. Yeah. And I have done a lot of nice long days. Dave Demmer, who used to be my UX director was uh, over at training peaks now, same thing. Like we've met up on the trails. And so it's a different approach. It's kind of cool. As I've gotten older in the last year or so, like even before COVID was happening, I was kind of like falling in love with just one or two really great epic races a year, mm -hmm. you know, like let me go to a cool location, do a you know big race, put a lot of effort into one single effort versus just how many times can I race in a year? So yeah. silver rush 50 is, is it for me? If that goes well, I want to go down and do the Havelina hundred, probably the hundred K this time um, rather than the hundred miler. But um, Jamil and the guys at Aravipa down in Phoenix do a phenomenal job putting on races. So, so you I'd like, like to go these do ultra that. endurance running races? I love them. My body does not yet love them. So I'm yeah. dealing with some IT band and plantar fasciitis on my left side. So I'm getting, I, I got a PT and I'm getting closer to getting there. But yeah, I love them. I, I think there's just one of the my favorite interviews, which was just a couple of weeks ago, was Ed Haranon Finn, who wrote the rise of the ultra runner and running with the Kenyans. And he does a great job of romanticizing ultra running. And I think like he does a great job of explaining why and the, 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 um, like I was never, I kind of always scoffed at people who, you know, like, Oh, I did a half marathon, but then like they walked the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's fine. If you're doing that, 
the people that I'm talking about are people who are far more capable than that, but just wanted to sort of wear the t-shirt and, you know, check it off their bucket list. Like if you're going to do it, go train and go do it. Yeah. You know? And so I, I always looked at ultra as like, yeah, you're not running the whole thing. You're walking parts of it. And is that really, is that really real? And then the more I train for it, it's like, yep, that's <laughs> it's pretty damn real. So. so you walk part of it and you run part of it or you run the whole thing? It just depends on the course, obviously. Okay. A flat course, I will run the whole thing. When so you're up in Leadville and you're at, you know, 13, 14,000 feet and you're going up Mosquito Pass, which is like, a, you know, 25% grade. It's, you're you're going to have to walk part of it at least. Yeah, but I think that's part of the sport, right? I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah it, it so absolutely is. So do you run every day now? I was. I was running six days a week. I would do one long day where I got up to about 25 miles, and then I would typically run six to eight miles a day. And then I just, I kind of pushed myself a little too hard, a little too soon. And that's when the IT band and planner got bad. So I've backed that off now. Mm-hmm. And I've actually taken the whole week off with Easter. I had family in town and everything else. So I start back up again tomorrow. And are you backed strength it training? Down a little bit. I am strength training. Yeah. 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 I'm not stretching as much, but I am doing my physical therapy and, and all that good stuff. So physical therapy I'll get there. is amazing. And now what about nutrition and food and diet? Are you super on top of that? I mean, if you're running every day and. Yeah, my wife's a nutritionist. So we've always eaten really clean and we're, we're pretty good on that, on that front. And now, I mean, it's, you know, with the snow having cleared here in Colorado, I'll be able to start mixing in a lot of mountain biking in with the. That's cross training. With the running. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think, I think like my fitness is amazing. I, I feel like I could do the 50 today. So what are you on? What's your fitness level on training peaks? <laughs> I, you know what? I don't use any tooling. What? It's funny. Like, I know. Stop. I, I should. I have a Strava account. I don't know the last time. It's probably been four years since I logged into my Strava account. I'm one of those people who sign up for everything when it starts. So I think I was like the first person on Twitter and also yeah. maybe one of the first people on Strava and I never used it. And then during yeah. COVID, I was like sitting around thinking of what can I do now? And that was one of the things I did. I signed back up. I mean, I pulled up my account and I started letting my workouts go through. I love training peaks though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do love training peaks and have used it. And I'm a little ad hoc this year. I need to, I frankly should have hired a coach and it's not that it's too late at this point, but I'm, I want to try this on my own first and then we'll see how it goes. So you said it's in July. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's like, I've done the heavy half up in Leadville. I know what it's like to run in Leadville. I know what I'm up against. It's, you know, I've paced at the hundred, you know, it's an amazing place to run. It's really hard. And going into it, knowing that is just, that's half the battle, right? It's that I'm not going to, I'm not going to be breaking any land speed records and I just need to be open to there will be walking. Do you run with a, a Nathan or a Camelback, like one of those vests? Yeah. I've got the, the Solomon ADV 12. That's a game changer. Yeah, that is a phenomenal device. And I started using UCAN, which is a potato-based nutrition. And man, like I can get through a 25-mile run with just two bottles of UCAN. Like it's amazing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And especially Colorado where it's all about layers. Like you start in tights and a jacket, you know, then the tights come off, then the jacket comes off and, you know, different air, like having something like that where you can just easily shed layers. It's really nice and form fitting. So you don't, nothing is ever bouncing around. It's 
great. I love it. I have a vest. I don't really do big distance. I mean, the marathon is catered, so you know, get water every yeah. mile. And I would carry my own like nutrition, but I don't really, when it comes to running, I had not really done anything more than a marathon. And my longest mile before that was 18, like my longest distance. And, you know, I'd run up and down the West Side Highway and there's water fountains. I can carry my gels and everything. And then, yeah. you know, or running in Central Park. But now during COVID, you know, I don't want to drink from a water fountain and there's no vendors out. So I ordered this vest and it's game changing, but it's also very bouncy and awkward to get used to. But I know that everyone uses them. So. Yes, the Solomon and the, um, I mean, Nathan, you know, there's a handful, but the Solomon was the one that like you put it on and when it's empty, it it's like you're wearing, you ever seen like, uh, like the Chris McCormick, like midriff tight tri top, you yes, know, yes. kind of fits like that, you know, it's like right, right at the rib cage tight. And so it does not bounce around when your water bottles are super full. It bounces a little, if you're wearing like when I wear it over a like a windbreaker, mm-hmm. it'll kind of slide on that, but yeah. it's not too bad. Yeah, I have uh, put it's my not too bad at all. On, so I don't hear the yeah. swish, swish, swish. That's where you listen to your EDM. Yeah, my EDM. What yeah. do you listen to when you're running, or do you just listen to nature, being that you're in Colorado? You know what? Oftentimes, like I, I would say eighty-five percent at least of the time, I no headphones, no music. Yeah, just listening to, just listening to nature. My footfall. Do you do a lot of deep thinking? I do. I mean, running has always been my my classroom, like the, where I go and and I can work out things. I can sort of lay out the whiteboard in my brain and, and work through big problems. Uh, the shower for some reason and running, not biking, not or not uh, swimming, not lifting, yeah. nothing else. Yeah, but like the white noise of the shower and then something about running. Yeah, I can just like it's like your innovation channel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very uh, meditative. So I will listen to music from time to time on a run. And it's usually something very, very heavy. Heavy metal or like heavy, like Sarah McLachlan. I'm kidding. Did you say that yesterday? (laughs) I did. I did. That's my guilty pleasure is I have, I have like every, I have Sarah McLachlan's entire catalog. Yeah. On, but that's for biking, actually. No, I I like listening to, there's a band Ginger, uh, like Ukrainian just super heavy metal that is just phenomenal. The singer is amazing, but I listen to a lot of kind of like, you know, Pantera. And I like a lot of nineties alternative hard stuff, smashing pumpkins, Jane's addiction. Awesome. <laughs> well, this has been so great. I'm glad that we connected on our podcast. Indeed. You'll have to keep me posted on the running and obviously, you know, whenever you're doing your next thing, whatever it is that you're doing, yeah. I would love to be dialed in. hundred percent. Yeah, that's great. Indeed. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been it's been nice being on this side of the mic for once. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com. For more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. 
and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 